0: Well, it's pretty cool to see people out. You know, sometimes when you touch on this one, people hide. Love the prophet. Not sure about the apostle. (laughs) Love the pastor. Love the teacher. The evangelist. Ooh, this whole thing of evangelism. I remember someone saying a while ago, what does the world and the church have in common with one another? as they both hate evangelism. (laughs) Is it something you find easy? Is it something you shy away from? Is it something that comes natural to you? Is it something that's not natural at all? And like I said this morning, that God wants to grow us, he wants to reveal himself within us. So no matter our personality types, no wonder our our, our fears and those things that bind us, he wants us to overcome those things that we can be like him and walk in the manner in which he walked. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And that isn't just redeeming people, that's what was lost, the entirety of what was lost at the fall of man. Sometimes we just tend to think that's people He wants to save people from being lost or found. Now he wants to redeem everything that was lost at the fall, which is part of the Bride of Christ, the millennial reign, all those things that got lost when man fell out of the glory of God. So that's what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and save all that was lost, which was mankind, to redeem mankind back to man's original state, which was perfection. Hence in Matthew, you see, be perfect like my heavenly Father is perfect. How cool is that? And I, I wonder whether this whole thing about the world and the church, and it's not, it's a general statement, isn't it? It's not obviously everybody, but it's a general statement. But I wonder if that has something to do with the way we've approached it. I wonder if that's got something to do with our understanding and what's even been taught So in this whole area, and it's not just evangelism, it's everything. Do we come from a position of love or law? Do you see people as people or projects that need fixing? Because if you see someone as a project that needs fixing, that's how you'll approach them in this area of reaching out to them. You'll see them as a problem or they've got a problem that needs fixing rather than see the person as a promise of God's heart. And it really does determine your approach, it determines your style, it determines whether we will go where we need to go to be able to serve people the best way rather than the quickest way, which is easiest for us. See, when you love people, you want to serve people, don't you? And you want to serve them from their agenda, not yours, which means you'll take much more time in figuring out how you serve someone not just see them as a project that needs fixing. And so I just wonder whether it's been our, our approach to this whole thing has not only freaked out non-Christians, but it's freaked us out as well. And so it's actually sort of made us shrink from this very thing that's at the center of God's heart, which is to see all of man redeemed back to himself. And so hopefully, as we go over the next four weeks, and I thought Steve did a brilliant job last week at just... Really unpacking the heart of a person and how a person whose heart is God's would view people as God sees people and then their approach to that is quite different from seeing them as a problem that needs fixing or a project. Um, Because when you see people as project, you treat them differently, don't you? Love doesn't come out of you. Most of the time it's frustration, especially when they don't do what you want them to do. And you're trying to take them through this thing to get to this place and they don't want to go to this place. And that comes out. And they actually can feel that coming out of you. They feel It's like, you don't seem to really care about me. You just seem to want to get me across the line. You want to tick a box. You want to put a notch in your belt that you've got so many people say, whatever that is, I don't understand what that is. But no, they can sense all that. No, they smell a rat. Do you know they smell a rat better than you and I smell a rat? They smell. There's not genuous about this, okay? So we need to be genuine, which means we we all need to find our way in which this flows. And part of tonight I want to talk about is the primary purpose of an evangelist, the gift of evangelist, and then the secondary gift or the secondary, sorry, purpose. Okay, so we're going to look at the primary purpose. And then we're going to look at the secondary purpose of the evangelist. And in the second part, um, you're going to see a pattern. And I've sort of stopped doing this in messages, but I felt to do it in this, is to give you six keys through a scripture in Acts 8 where we see Philip reach out to this Ethiopian man. And there's some really cool keys that we need to learn and apply in the way in which we reach out to people. And um, so we're going to start by just looking at, firstly, what is the primary purpose of the gift of the evangelist? So in your notes, um, it should say the primary purpose, the primary purpose of the gift of the evangelist is to equip the saints for works of service, and to build up the body of Christ. If I was to ask you what the primary purpose of the evangelist was before I read that out, what would you have said? Convert people to Christ. Getting people Bible bash them. (laughs) It could have something to do with the approach. (laughs) Do you think most people would say that the primary purpose of the evangelist is actually to lead people to Christ, is to be running rallies and, and getting out there and maybe leading the charge? See, I want to challenge that mindset. and I want to say, no, the primary purpose is of a builder, of an equipper to see a body built and established. The secondary purpose is to get out there and model how it's done. See, if we get those round the wrong way, the body of Christ is suffering. If you really stop and think about this, if the building work's not happening within, how's the body of Christ going to get out the walls and actually start doing it? And if the one that's being given, the primary purpose is to see it built and established because it's the grace, but they're not actually there. They're out and about. Then the body of Christ is missing out and a very important gift, isn't it? No different to any of the other four gifts. If they see themselves as lone rangers and not part of a team, then the body of Christ is missing out. It's really simple math, but sometimes we fail to see it because Our flesh takes over, and we can't actually see the first place priorities of God's heart. We always see the second. That's why a lot of people always look to the commission, not the commandment. Why? Because your natural fleshly wiring is to look at function, not relationship. Okay, some of you look at me a little bit (laughs) square-eyed. So the primary purpose of the gift of the evangelists is to equip the saints for works of service and to build up the body of Christ. Ephesians 4:11 to 12. We've gone over this time and time again, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, what for? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So to build a mature body. A mature body walks in the manner in which Jesus walked, yes? It's a mature body. So maturity is grown, yes? Gifts are given, maturity is grown. So if we're maturing because the gifts have been given, we will be an apostolic, prophetic, evangelistical teacher, shepherding people. We will be found in the outcomes Jesus was found in, correct? If we're not maturing, then we won't be found in those outcomes. Simple math here. Okay. So the primary gifting of the evangelist is to build this, and you know, it's a foreign concept, a foreign concept to many in the body of Christ. This is a foreign concept to many in the body of Christ, but it is also a foreign concept to many evangelists. so it can be a foreign concept many tend to think the primary purpose purpose sorry blah. many tend to think the primary purpose of the evangelist is to get out there so that should be and and preach and get people saved but this isn't what the bible teaches I believe we think like this because we have been taught to see the problem before we see the promise. What's God's promise? So the Bible says all his promises are yes. Doesn't it? So what? For what purpose? A restored relationship for to enter into the marriage covenant between Christ and his church, which Paul says is a mystery that needs to be not a mystery. It needs to be known. So it's a great mystery. I'm not talking about a man and a woman. I'm talking about Christ and his church, and it's a mystery that the church needs to understand, come into, so she flows in an alignment to the father, but if we see things as a primary as a problem, man as a problem, then we miss the promise. We're naturally wired to see problems. Did you realize that? Our natural thing will always see problems because it's fleshly driven. And we miss the promise. So we set camp up to fix problems, not set camp up to enter into promises. Is there a problem? Yes there is. But it's not the macro, it is the micro. The macro is the promise. Does the problem need fixing? Yes, it does. But see, if that's our starting point, I believe this is how we start functionally in our approach. And the evangelist thinks functionally, not relationally. Is the evangelist to love people like God loves people? What happens when an evangelist doesn't love people like God loves people and gets out there? What happens when a people don't love people really and get out there like God loves people? We see them as projects. You see them as tasks. You treat them as tasks. You even treat the body as Christ as tasks and projects and assets and commodities and resources that when we're done with them, we don't need them. This is how you get people that are so passionate about evangelists but not about discipleship. So they go, I'll get Linda saved and I'll pass her on to Jesse because I don't want her issues. Because fish smell. Don't they? Go catch some fish. Great, you can gut it. I'm not interested in gutting. You see, when you don't see people through the eyes of love, you see them as a problem, as a project, so i get you fixed, then i pass you on to her. I don't want anything to do with you. Actually. You see them as a number. Tick. And the evangelists can see them as a number as well. I remember going to... <laughs> this cracked me out. I remember going to this meeting, this conference, and the first thing this guy said to me, who I won't tell you who he is. I went to say, hi, I'm Greg. And he went, we had a thousand people saved in our church last week. Got all their names, got all their numbers, and we followed them all up. I said, that's lovely. I'm Greg. <laughs> well, I don't really care. I mean, I do, but I, you can hear what I'm saying. You see, what's that? We lose relationship. We lose for all this purpose of this function. And evangelists and people of evangelism evangelism can be no different. So the evangelist needs to realize that his or her core calling is to see a church built. It's to be part of a team. And as a team, work together and not be a lone ranger out there trying to save a world that Jesus never asked for the evangelist to save. He said, I seek and save the lost. I hope you can hear what I'm saying. Evangelists will go out their primary purpose. Like the church's, sorry, secondary purpose. Our secondary purpose is to reach out. Our primary purpose is to love God and love one another. We get that round the wrong way, you don't get love. Is the church known for love before it's known for reaching out as a whole? Do the world see a church known for love? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes. So anyway, let's keep going. God never started creation with a problem that needed fixing, but with a promise that needs to be revealed. When we see in your notes, when we see the promise, the marriage covenant, rather than the problem, our sin, we start to grasp purpose for not only the gift of the evangelist, but all these giftings. When we see the promise, the marriage covenant, rather than the problem, our sin, we start to grasp the purpose for not only the gift of the evangelist, but all these giftings. God is going to marry a mature bride, isn't he? Is that clear? Like, is that hitting us, the weight of that? I hope so. The two key words in Ephesians 4 are to equip and to build up. See, that whole thing about sin being a problem, and that's where people spend a lot of time as Christians focusing on sin. They think I'm not good enough because my sin still holds me back. My sin still disqualifies me. No, no, he died for your sin. Your sin is redeemed. So why are you looking at the wrong place? See, it's like we're still going around trying to, if only i just get over my sin. He's like, what are you doing? I got over your sin. I came down and took your sin on me. You are redeemed, clean. Righteous. Now, can you start living from that place of righteousness? See, this affects every area of our lives. It's not just for lost people. It's how we actually live our own lives. If sin is still a focus in our lives rather than righteousness, then you'll look the wrong way. You're not entering into this life. Paul said, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed anymore. If there was a man that was going to be ashamed, it was Paul. He said, The gospel has made me right. I know how right I am, so I just live it out. So in his approach to everybody, he's living this righteousness approach out, not focusing on sin. Now sin is in the mix, please hear me. But it's not the core issue in the sense of what we want to be focusing on. We want to be focusing on the promise. The promise, the promise, the promise. You were created for love. You're not a scumbag. Which one is, just put yourself in that situation. You were created for a love relationship to know the greatest love on the planet known to mankind. And before you even were born, you were created for this relationship. Oh, um, you're a problem. Kate, you're a problem. You've got this problem called sin. And if you don't get it sorted out, you're in trouble and, What's the approach? And predominantly, we have a Catholic mindset, which is sin, 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 rather than promise, 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 promise. So it's about a sequencing order. It's about a sequencing what's one, what's two. Whose head's hurting? (laughs) Okay, here's a question. Has anyone met or known of a frustrated evangelist? Ever met one? I've met a few. I sort of was a few years ago. Not that I was an evangelist. I thought I was, but I wasn't. I was a confused one. (laughs) Thought it was something, I wasn't. There you go. And what can tend to happen is confused evangelists, not only are they not connected into the team, but they start recreating other ways in which to try and reach out to people. And so we try and do it through different ways that may or might not even be godly, and they sound really cool because they get frustrated. You see, because they're not connecting into their natural design of wiring, they actually have to come up with all these other ways in which to try and reach out. And so that takes them out of the body of Christ. Not connected into a body of Christ, it takes them out of because no one understands them because they're trying to get these cool things happening that sound really cool and it Happens in business and all this cool stuff. And some of them could be from the Father, but at the same time, some of them could be of our flesh because we're not flowing in our, our wiring. So there's a frustration, there's a disconnect. And when an evangelist really gets the fact that they've actually been created to be in a team, frustration goes. It's a challenge though. It's a challenge because there's a gracing on them. It's like the apostle, the prophet, There's a gracing upon them for this functional work. But frustrated evangelists, some of them don't even like the body. They actually dislike the body of Christ because they look at the body of Christ as lazy because they don't get out there and preach the gospel. Are you dead? Do you even know Jesus? If you knew Jesus, you'd be out there. So they actually get frustrated and they start driving people. Experienced anybody like that? A few years ago? Frustrated, driving in my leadership. Man, come on! Ain't problem, eh? It's just the commandment. It says you have to love brother and sister. But my frustration takes over and I don't even like them. There's an issue. And maybe the issue is that the body's not necessarily being the body because the evangelists are spending all their time not in the body. So, God, who's incredible and wise, says, You've been sent to equip and to build to see a body become evangelistical. But if you're not in the body, how are they going to get what they need to get? So, you're getting frustrated and they're getting frustrated and nobody's winning. It's a team approach, isn't it? And so frustrated evangelists, they actually can be dangerous. And you know, it's too many evangelists can be lone rangers who disconnect themselves from the body. Now once again, we can all be lone rangers. You may not be an evangelist, but your approach could be that of a lone ranger. There's plenty of people that think they can still follow Jesus and not really be part of a body. That's actually not biblical. When you understand and get revelation of the body, is that it's a body. You're not the body of Christ. You may be an arm. So if I was to take off my arm and put it on the floor and walk away from it and say, so, I hope you get on, okay? How long is that going to last? Not very long because it's just disconnected from the blood source. It's the same in the natural. You know, you three think, oh, I can be a Christian. No, no, no. You were connected to be in a body. You can amble along, but one, you'll never fulfill your calling, and two, other people around you will never receive what God put on you for them to receive. So my business is your business. Your business is my business. When you're blessed, I'm blessed, and vice versa. That's a whole different way of looking at this thing, isn't it? When you start seeing it through the lens of a body, the building up of a body and the equipping for works of service, which are not my good intentions, they are his works prepared beforehand for the body of Christ to enter into and those works are empowered and inspired from the realm of faith. So even that, you get to see why you need to be in the body because it's not just about doing any works. Anyone can do any works. The Mormons do great works. World Vision do great works. Non-Christians do great works. But they're not works of service that the Bible's talking about. So what are these works of service that can look like those things but in fact actually the operating system are very different? Jesus did nothing from his own initiative, did he? So there's real intentionality behind God's design and why he does it the way he does it. So we don't want to be lone rangers either as evangelists or as an evangelistical people. The evangelists are part of a team. Next thing in your notes. The evangelists are part of a team who together understand their primary purpose as a team is to see the body of Christ, which they are part of, built up into the full image of the Son, and from this position live out works of service. So as we're being built, the body of Christ is coming into these works of service, as a body and as individuals. So it's a team game, and at the end of the day, the evangelist, the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the pastors, the body of Christ with all the other giftings are being presented as a mature bride, and she has made herself ready, and she has on the fine linen garments, which are the righteous acts of the saints, the right works of the saints. Who are the saints? We are. What are right works? not any works what he leads so do you think as a whole we need to have all these giftings in place so the church is being built up so she does the right works and receives the fine linen garment which is what the wedding garment isaiah is the righteous garment revelation is the right acts Righteousness, Isaiah Made right Revelation, right acts Righteous acts Do you earn your salvation? So you get given it What about works of service? Do you get given those? You earn those in the sense of Be led, obedient So here you go Here's your garment for your right acts It's the wedding clothes The man, Matthew 22 He's asked to leave the banquet. Why? What didn't he have on? Wrong garments. How does he get there? Is he a lost person? So he's a follower. So how does he get there? Yeah, but how, how does he get there? What's he got on? He's got the garments of righteousness. What hasn't he got on? Righteous acts, garments. There's two garments. So then he's asked to leave and then it says many are called and few are chosen. This is really deep. I was going to talk about this this morning. And I'm going to get to it. Okay. So we need to know the right works of service for the body of Christ so we don't do any works because with these works are rewards. So we need to hear him. That's what we're going to look at, don't we? We need to hear him. We need to be close to him. I'm getting slightly off track. But now you're all like, which is good. And we're going to get to it a bit later on. Okay. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's essential that everyone, say everyone, everyone is in this process of being built up. So we know that the works of service that God has us doing are inspired and empowered by him and not us. I love God. I was sharing this with with someone this, this morning that everything God does is to keep you in close proximity to himself. So his whole design is to keep you close to him so you don't get hoodwinked by your own flesh. And think you're doing and spend time doing stuff that's actually not of Him, but it's done in His name. Okay? See, these works of service, they're not to be stressful works. They're not to be like so, so heavy that they'll weigh us down, that they cost burdens and we stress and we're anxious over all these things. They're not works that are led by the Spirit. Works that are led by the Spirit are easy and light. There's a burden, but they are easy and light. Why? Because they've been led by the Father, they're inspired by the Father, and they're empowered by the Father. So even though you see Paul going through what he went through, he says, I'm operating from this, from the strength within me, so it's still light. It can look heavy, can't it? But the realm that's being built in him creates them to be light, but he's in alignment to the Father. And we must come into alignment of the works of service as a body that are inspired from heaven. Otherwise, they're just our works. And our works, what does the Bible say happens to our works? They get burnt up. So it's telling us so clearly in Scripture. And the works that are led of him, they get rewarded, don't they? Because you've built your life on gold, silver, and precious stone. The righteous acts of the saints. It's powerful stuff. Okay, Um The secondary purpose of the gift of the evangelist is to be led by the Spirit in sharing the living Word of God. Okay, so let's go to Acts 8. And the evangelist is to model this, okay? So the evangelist becomes like a signpost for us. Say it again. The second, here's that last sentence, the secondary purpose of the gift of the evangelist is to be led by the spirit in sharing the living word of God. Okay, so this is, the, this is not just the evangelist, this is us. So the evangelist becomes a model so you can see how they operate and then they can teach how they operate. Acts 25 verse 40. This is such a cool passage. An Ethiopian receives Christ. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Say an angel of the Lord. Does that happen to you every day? (laughs) Get up. And go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. That's a key. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her. Tre- he was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, "Go up and join this chariot." Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began, sorry, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. This is pretty cool, this part. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? (laughs) But went on his way rejoicing with us. But Philip found himself at Azotus. <laughs> and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. I love that. The fact that he doesn't, you know, I mean, reading into it, but he just keeps preaching. He just gets star trepped. Shoom, Right. Let's preach. I was sitting there going, look, that was a cool miracle. Let me tell you about the miracle. He's just flowing in what he's wired in. But there's a really cool process here of seeing how God works, okay? And as we follow the Spirit of God, things unlock in our lives and other people's lives. So the first thing, so these keys to evangelizing, okay? The first one is hearing from the heavenly realm, hearing from the heavenly realm. As we've talked about, Jesus couldn't do nothing from his own initiative, and neither can we. Okay, Our instructions must come from above. Holy Spirit wants to be our teacher. He wants to be our guide. He wants to be our counselor, our comforter. He wants to convict the world of sin, the Bible says. So it's him. It's him. The Bible says if, if God is not drawing a man or a woman, then you can be wasting your time. You can be waste time and energy and effort and thought. And he's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going out to reach. No, 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 you haven't even consulted me. And you could be doing a whole lot of stuff, and it could be of God. So please it could be of God. But how do you know it's of God? Has God told you? Or is it just what you think? So it's your good intention. And we have to be able to flow in God's intention, not just good intention and at times like listen the father is so gracious that he takes our good intention and he'll use it but at the same time he wants us to hear him so we're not throwing pearls away you know you're not spending hours and hours and hours and you miss the opportunity that he has for you go right No, you're determined to go left because you're driving yourself left but he's saying go right and this is pretty cool because this is a desert road. He could have taken another road, but he takes a desert road. Okay? So the first thing is hearing, and you know, it's it is an angel, it is an angel and the Holy Spirit who directed Philip's works of service, not his good intention. It is an angel and the Holy Spirit who directed Philip's works of service, not his good intention. In other words, it is the heavenly realm directing Philip's works of service. See, we can do a whole lot of works because we need to feel good about ourselves. Especially guys. A sense of accomplishment and purpose. So we do these works because it's actually about us. It's not really about him. Some of us don't know who we are. So we say, oh, we'll just give it a go. So the motivation behind the works is really important. Okay, So it says, verse 26, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So in our wisdom, we probably go where to take the main road. But the Ethiopian's not on the main road, he's on the desert road. And there could be other people on the main road, but that's not the people the Holy Spirit's wanting to draw. So you could be spending all your time and energy witnessing to people who's going, they ain't the people that actually you should have listened and took the desert road. So we've got about a here, clear instruction, yeah? Verse 29, it was the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Okay, second key is about being obedient to the instruction given by the heavenly realm. So you can hear, but do you obey? What was Steve talking about? Do you do things you don't want to do when he asks you to do it? So it's cool, we're hearing, then this challenge of stepping out. Ooh, but what if, but what if, but what if, but what if, but what if? <laughs> what might it be? What are you going to come into through stepping out? And what's the other person going to come into through stepping out? And how's that going to bring glory to my name? Oh, but what if, but what, but what if? So obedience unlocks so much, doesn't it? So he's speaking. Philip is obedient. Okay, so being obedient to destruction. Verse 27 So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch. Once again, not on the main road, on the desert road. And God was drawing this man. That's what the Bible says. People cannot get saved unless the Spirit of God is drawing them. So he's being drawn. Philip ran up (laughs) and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, what are the chances of that? This is a divine moment, isn't it? See, when we follow the Spirit, the Spirit's already working. And that's why obedience is so critical, because we're like trying to figure it all out. But what if that happens? But what if that Don't worry about that. The Spirit's gone ahead of you. He's working it. He's aligning it. He's just saying, go. Go in obedience, and I will lead it. So imagine running up here, and here he is, and he's reading Isaiah. He's like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> okay. So the third key is be prepared to start from where the person is at. This is huge. <laughs> be prepared to start from where the person is at. Verse 30, Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. So, in our reaching out, where do we start from? What did he say? (laughs) So, where do you start from? You know, he's he's starting from where this man is at because he's heard, he's moving in an alignment. But see, if we come with a preconceived agenda, then people are just projects. I've got something to tell you. That's great, but you, I'm not even near that place where you're trying to take me to. So really serving people is about meeting them where they're at, isn't it? And then through wisdom and through asking right questions, bringing them on a journey with you. And so it's really important that we can discern where the person's at. Okay. And so he's flowing here with where the Ethiopian is that. He doesn't start talking about this or that or this or that. He's starting from where the person is. And that will be different every time. You can't even program that. Be easy if you could. I wonder why this is why sometimes we do get a bit of a on the nose or a F off or a this because we're just preoccupied with our thing. And I'm going to tell you about this thing I want to tell you about. person's like, I don't give a rip, you know. I really don't give a rip. What I give a rip about is going and buying my beer. And now you're on my face. So get out my face. You know what I mean? So once again, it's love. Love thinks. Love goes places. Love is prepared to spend time hearing from the Father uh, for people that you don't even know. The fourth key is ask questions rather than telling. Verse 30, do you understand what you are reading? Questions, questions, questions are so important. Now he asks a closed question here. Do you understand what you are reading? Open-ended questions are powerful. Okay, so it's where an open-ended question is just where someone can't say yes or no. How was your time in Taupo? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's, a, it's a starter that starts conversation. Now he asks a close question, do you understand what you're reading? So we need to be people that ask questions. Sometimes that's not natural to us because we just want to tell. And once again, that's that agenda. Let me tell you what I know rather than ask you and lead you and guide you. It's more scarier because you don't fully know where it's going. Okay? Hence you have to be dependent on who. Because he's gone before. So it's easy just to try and tell, and you wonder why someone walks away and you go, hmm. Because all you've done is tell someone stuff. Haven't created even a need or a knowing. But through the process of asking questions, things can happen. Uh, the fifth key only step into what you are given permission to. Ho ho. You want to annoy people? You want to close down witnessing? Go beyond where they're giving you permission. And they might stay and listen to you for another five minutes, but they switched off. They're gone. And we think I told them you ain't tell them anything. Because they just switched off. Even though they stood in front of you and listened to what you said, they're not interested. So don't go beyond what people give you permission to. And you have to discern that. In the moment. Verse 31, and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So he's saying, come. I want to know more. So this is why questions are good, because you ask questions, you can discern what's coming back, whether there's an openness. But if you're just here to tell, to tell, to tell, to tell, someone's switched off, and you're oblivious to it, and they've got switched off. And now they're over here. Now see, that's the power of questions because they help you discern whether the person is still with you, and then you can step into more as they invite you in. Okay, so we just come back from Australia, and we were out just having a coffee. So there was the whole family, Sandra and Rolly, and the girls were playing. The sort of the cafe was so here, and the beach was here, and the girls went down just to play on the sand. And so I thought it's time to go, so I walked where we were inside, out, and um, they were just playing on the sand, and there was a woman uh, who was just sitting here on her own with her her girlfriend, but I think girlfriend was in the toilet, and she made just a a comment about the kids. I can't remember what it was. It was just, oh, they're having a great time. I said, yeah, yeah, and I just started in a conversation with her. She was from New Zealand. She used to live in Wellington. She's from Nelson, but now living in Australia. And we just got talking, and it went said to her, she said, so what do you do for a living? Now sometimes I actually won't tell people because I'm discerning what's coming back at me because in the past I've said what I've done and I see people shut off. It happened powerfully at a supermarket once where Danny and I were getting some groceries. No, sorry, it wasn't, um, it was at, I won't tell you the shop, but it was a clothing shop and the girl says, what do you do, Danielle? I said, I'm a teacher, early childhood. Oh, that's really cool. And she said, what do you do? I said, oh, I lead a church community called The Rock. Shroom. She literally almost went, take a step back. And I went, gee, they're going to learn from that. So sometimes I don't tell people what I do or I get creative with what I do. And some people say, oh, you're lying. I said, no, I'm just being wise because you can shut down conversations. I sensed in the moment just to share with her, I lead a church community called The Rock. She said, I know about The Rock. And away we go again. Okay, And so conversation, how did you get into that? There's another opening. She's now asking me, how did that happen? So I don't know. I was there for about half an hour with her just sharing. It was so natural. And I got to share how I came to know Christ and beyond that, what she thought. And then she said, that's really interesting. And I said, look, I've written a book called Bird's Eye View. It's free on a website. Gave her the website. She said, I'm so glad we met today. That was not an accident, and we just went in. It's just a moment that happened, you know, that you've got to step into because you can step out of or you cannot even be looking. Why? Because you're just worried about the kids, and you miss opportunities. And so allow people to give you permission, but don't go beyond because it's the greatest way to shut it down. And the last thing and the final thing, and then we'll get into some dialogue, is be bold and speak forth what the spirit is saying to speak. Okay, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Once again, it's not this cookie cutter process. What are the words that the Spirit are giving you to say? It may not be literally like this, which was Scripture, where he was going to take the Scripture and preach the living Christ. It could be something completely different. It could be how you came to Christ. It could be what God's been doing. It could be about a healing that you've experienced or you know someone who experienced. Let him define what those words are. Is that cool? So you've got the primary gifting of the evangelist is to see the church built and equipped for works of service. The secondary purpose is for that evangelist to then model what that looks like. And that's what Philip's doing there because he's an evangelist, is to model what that looks like so then the body of Christ can flow in the ways of heaven. Okay, So it's not a one, two thing, but there are aspects that we are aligning ourselves to which make it organic and holistic, but it makes it harder than just handing out step-by-step process, doesn't it? So it asks for relationship. I need to know. I need to know God. I need to be close to God. I need to spend the time developing my intimacy. Cool. So where you are, just maybe nominate um, someone. Uh, There are questions in the notes. Uh, There's about six or seven questions that I've given you. So once again, it's not that you've got to get through all of them. You may have a better question. So feel free to use that. But as a guide, just go through them, unpack them and See what he says.